The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? Try to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. And Happy New Year. Even though the stock market's supposed to be this really harsh taskmaster, that foils your best laid plans. The S&P managed to rally 27% last year. Why? Glad you asked. Because hope sprang eternal. And hope could spring eternal again this year. Including today, where the Dow gained 247 points. The S&P advanced one, uh, 0.64%. And the Nasdaq jumped 1.20%. Normally, when you hear hope springs eternal, it's meant in the most derogatory of ways. Like, you got to be an idiot to believe anything good can happen. But I'd rather be an idiot who makes money than a genius who misses out on great opportunities. What a great place to begin. Tesla. All right. We ended last week doubting Tesla's ability to make a lot of cars and make a lot of money on them after the recall. Then this weekend, we discovered that Tesla's made more than 300,000 cars in the fourth quarter and that it made a ton of money per car. It didn't take long for the rigorous dollars to pounce. One analyst with a sell on the stock had to take up his price target by a few points from 250 to 295. But wait, that Rip Van Winkle up. Tesla trades at 1,200, up 143 points today. The off-quoted Tony Saganegi from Bernstein chided that Tesla's being valued at $1 million per car. That kind of analysis drives me crazy. Anyone who's been in this business for a long time knows that stock prices are often disconnected from the underlying enterprise. I'm sure Tony's right about the math. I mean, the current Tesla stock price per car is overvalued. But that's only one way. And obviously, from the rise in the stock up 13% today, it's the wrong way. Why? There is an arbiter. It doesn't make you money. 
And that, not being clever, is what this business is really about. It's a big reason why I created the Charitable Trust, which is now part of CNBC Investing Club. I want to teach you these things. Tesla's not being valued by units. It's being valued as a tech company, one that's run by a truly visionary CEO. While other automakers are struggling to get their electric vehicles off the ground, Elon Musk doesn't even need to advertise his cars. He's even opening an auto plant in Berlin to go head-to-head with the Germans. None of this was supposed to happen. According to the Bears, Tesla was supposed to run out of money years ago. They were supposed to have construction problems and high turnover and problems with the Chinese regulators. They certainly weren't supposed to turn a profit, let alone triumph over the chip shortage. But these worries just did not come to pass. Instead, Tesla's on track to make more than a million cars this year and make big money on every single one of them. Hope sprang eternal, and you had to bet with it, not against it. Next up, Pfizer. For eight years, this mediocre drug company had its stock stuck in the 30s. It was like quicksand. Then they came out with the best vaccine to prevent you from going to the hospital when you get COVID and followed up with a pill to keep COVID from progressing. Along the way, unlike the flim-flam drug authorities in this country, the company figured out that you would need three doses, not two and a booster, but three doses. The money from the COVID business cured a terrible patent cliff. The next thing you know, it's a nearly $60 stock. What happened? Hope springs eternal. And those hopes paid off. How about NVIDIA? A semiconductor company specializing in graphics cards decided to go all in on machine learning and artificial intelligence in the omniverse. You hear about the consumer side of the omniverse or the metaverse if it's Facebook. But I think the real opportunity is the business side, where companies can save billions of dollars by testing things out in a virtual world instead of wasting away and wasting so much valuable time and money and equipment. I bet this stuff also shows up in, re- in restaurants where you'll see avatars powered by NVIDIA taking your order in 28 languages and not making a single mistake, saving these changes of fortune in labor costs. And their chips also give machines the ability to make good recommendations. They power every data center, or at least all the ones that don't run on AMD. That's how the stock could more than double last year to the point where the business is now worth more than $750 billion, a company worth $750 billion that most of the people on the planet have never heard of. All right, how about one they have? How about Apple? Ever since Steve Jobs retired, the analysts and reporters have been taking turns minimizing Apple's incredible achievements. Quarter after quarter, they warned you that a shortfall is around this corner. But Tim Cook and company never really let it happen. Instead, they came up with new products like the watch and the AirPods. They may not be as groundbreaking as the original iPhone, even as they're making the company a ton of money. Plus, there's that huge Apple service revenue stream that's growing by leaps and bounds. I paid my Apple bill today at about 5.05 this morning. Okay, 5.05 a.m. Well, I don't know. I saw it there. I didn't open it. Whoever opens it, right? How many bills from Apple do you open? You just pay. It's like an auto pay. I don't know. I don't, who knows how much I'm paying? Anyway, who cares? I love it. Oh, and anyone who watched football this weekend saw these ads for the watch. They involve saving people in impossible situations. It's just a reminder that Apple's not just cell phones, despite every attempt by analysts, except for Morgan Stanley's Katie Uberty, convince you to trade Apple, not own it. I say it should be the other way around. Despite the analysts, hope springs a sprang eternal here for Apple, and you had to bet on it. You couldn't scoff at it. People have been scoffing at this one every $10 billion in market cap increase. Well, today it hit $3 trillion. How's that for bad scoffing? What else? Housing's supposed to fall off a cliff when the Fed starts tightening. This group has refused to roll over, though, making fortunes for believers who think that this time is different. Supposedly, these are the most dangerous words in the English language. But occasionally, this time really is different. 
with the rise of remote work, we simply don't have enough homes in this country. No one foresaw that, for heaven's sake. We didn't last year. We won't this year, regardless of what the Fed does. And that's why Home Depot was the number one performer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average last year. That's why Toll Brothers and Lennar have been great investments. You had to lean against every single analyst who told you to sell, either because of saturation or because the Fed was going to crush you. Hope sprang a turtle. Or this. How many times did we hear that Fang and friends had gotten too big and the gains were too concentrated? We heard that Amazon and Netflix were so-called pandemic stocks, that Facebook would succumb to Washington testimony, that Alphabet would continue its underperforming ways, that Microsoft couldn't keep posting upside surprises. Instead, these companies reinvented themselves. Mark Zuckerberg is such a believer in the metaverse, he changed his company's name to Meta Platforms. Along the way, the detractors were silenced, at least on Wall Street. Amazon became a giant advertising company. Netflix had a brief pause on because it couldn't make enough new content. That was because of the pandemic. In each case, hope sprang a turtle. You had to bet on that. Finally, yes, inflation raged. But Jay Powell's a different kind of fetch. He told you he was. There's no mystery here. He cared about people who work for a living, not just businesses, not just rich people. So he kept rates low in order to promote job growth. For this, he has been ridiculed as soft on inflation. But that's not true. He just recognized the Fed as a dual mandate, and the time to fight inflation was after he had the employment situation under control. All he had to do was listen to him. He created hope all by himself. He's a good man. Now, we can't be sure what 2022 will bring. I have plenty to say about that later tonight and later this week. But here's what we do know. Things can and do go right. It can be different this time. Sometimes you have to suspend your short-term skepticism to make long-term money. Will hope spring again in 2022? Can't be sure. But the bottom line, unless we realize that it happened before, just last year, we will not be ready for the opportunities it's going to create if it happens again. I want to start the calls for the new year with Iris in New York. Iris. Hello. Hi, Jim Kramer. Um, My question today is on QCOM. And I just wanted to know, uh, QCOM broke its highs in 2020. And do you think that the ship shortage played a part in its momentum in breaking that high? And will it continue? That stock's going much higher. That stock is going much higher. And the reason I say that is simple. It's because they've got an unbelievable business model and they are really got the gloves off. They got the power. They have the they are just they're not a monopolist, but oh my god, they've got the guts of all of the cell phones. I have to hand it to them. I think that company's management is really terrific. All right, hope springs eternal. We can't be sure what 2022 will bring, but there's reason to believe that things can and do go right. Oh man money tonight. Now that 2021 is officially in the rearview mirror, I'm evaluating the year's biggest S&P 500 winners to see if the runs can continue. Then I'm looking at the flip side and digging into the S&P 500 names with the biggest declines for the year. I think those could actually give us more insight than the winners. And more than 60 companies the S&P 500 have raised their dividend payouts every year for at least the last 25 years. I'm revealing the dividend aristocrats that might be worth keeping your eye on in 2022. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Every January, I sit down to ponder the best and worst performers, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, see what went wrong, what went right, whether history will repeat itself in the new year. The goal? To put things in perspective in order to identify the likely winners and losers of 2022. Tonight, I'm going to start with the 10 best and worst performers of the S&P 500. Then later this week, I'll do the same for the Nasdaq and the Dow. Give you a deeper look into any stock that makes multiple top 10 lists. We're going to do the top performers now. We'll circle back to the biggest loser after the break. So let's get to it. The number one performer in the entire S&P 500 last year, was Devon Energy, DVN. Best year for energy ever last year. Now, Devon is arguably the best run oil and gas company. I hope you've heard of it, because even though it began the year by combining with WPX Energy, the latter CEO, Rick Moncrief, took the helm. And he appeared on Mad Money and pretty much laid out everything. I first met Rick uh, when he was running the day-to-day at operations at Continental Resources. He gave us a helicopter tour of that company's back and shale holdings, and I did not throw up contrary to what many people have said. When we had him on the show last year, he described Devin's new variable dividend policy, which puts his company at the top of the S&P in terms of yield. At the time, it was selling for a little more than half of what it's selling now, and it had already gone up a great deal. Rick's part of a new breed of oil men or oil people, drilling for more crude with less capital, some of that's technology, and then returning a gigantic chunk of change to his shareholders. Even for Devon's stock ran up nearly 179% last year, it still sports a gargantuan 7.4% yield based on the latest payout, something Rick predicted when, he talked, when we talked to him on the show. I think the oil and gas stocks could have another strong performance in 2022. And the main reason is that the rest of the industry is really copying the Devon model. DVN, honored to know Rick, incredible that he became the CEO, even though WPX was a much smaller company. 
Number two is a company I really haven't cared for at all, which is Marathon Oil, MRO. It's up 146%. Now, this one snuck up on everyone because, like Devin, it surprised us with capital discipline. Uh, discipline. It wasn't known for being capital disciplined. It just wasn't. Marathon paid down $1.4 billion in debt, raised its dividend for the third consecutive quarter of November, and didn't raise its oil drilling budget, even though it's got superior cash flow generation. It even targeted $500 million in stock buybacks in the fourth quarter. Now, given that Marathon set aside $2.5 billion for buybacks going forward, this is a $13 billion company, which is a very strong year as long as the price of crude stays anywhere near its current level. I think the $16 stock could be an under-the-radar repeat winner. Again, these are so under, you know, no one's thinking about these stocks coming in. Aren't you surprised about this? The third best performer is not surprising. It's Moderna, up 143%. I fear Moderna will be unable to repeat that performance if everybody gets a fourth dose of the COVID vaccine, unless the company can find a way to diversify away from the pandemic and into the specialized cancer vaccines that first attracted me to Moderna a few years ago when I met them, uh, Mr. Bansell, when I was out at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Now, I love Moderna's management. But the stock simply isn't pricing in the very strong possibility that Omicron will quickly burn through the whole population and complete the COVID wave. Looking at the horrifying recent case numbers, I think pretty much everyone's going to get this one, which will give us a very bad kind of herd immunity. And just to clear something up earlier, I said this morning and I tweeted, um, I went to an event. Everyone had to have a PCR negative. They all had PCR negatives. We all saw the paper. And then I caught it from someone that same night. You have to get an Abbott Binax test right before you go into an event or you can give it to somebody. That's why so many people are sick. They think they don't have it. All right. You might have it. You watching. You might have it. Now, fourth is cybersecurity, which is unfortunately one of the best businesses of 2021. Only got better as the year went on because the bad guys got stronger. And that's how Fortinet, which is really an old-fashioned network protector, managed to perform as well as it did up 142%. The stock's still bargain, selling for 72 times earnings. I actually prefer Cloudflare, CrowdStrike, or Palo Alto Networks. That said, I expect most of these cybersecurity names have a very good year in 2022 because as long as people are working remotely, businesses need to bend over backward to stop hackers. However, I don't expect Fortinet to do as well as it did last year, uh, in part because I don't think Fortinet is all that uh, proprietary. Fifth, this one really snuck up on me. It's a thing called Signature Bank. I mean, I barely knew this one. But it's kind of like Republic or City National, both of which have well-heeled customers and got high-priced takeover bids. I was shocked that Signature rallied 139% last year, a poor year for both fintech and the big banks. Although, of course, both those did great today. Now, this, this stock's expensive. And all in all, I'd rather own one of the majors. But Signature, with real interest rate sensitivity, could still have a good move if the Fed tightens aggressively this year. You know, my favorite from the trust is Wells Fargo. We had a really good day, but at one day, it's not a year make. Number six is the total investing club name, and that's uh, Ford Motor. Now, CEO Jim Farley has rebuilt this company, cutting costs, shutting down unprofitable operations, and making a giant bet on electric vehicles. His goal is to turn a profit on every car he makes. Now, that's, believe it or not, that's something his predecessors never seem to put much emphasis on. Uh, with the F-150 going all electric, you might have seen the ads this weekend. They can light up your house. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought it's cool as all get out. But uh, Ford owns a gigantic state, stake in Rivian, which is going higher, which can be monetized. I think we could actually be looking. Are you ready, Ski Daddy, for a possible repeat of last year's monster 136% move? Remember, they threw in a dividend, too. What a horse. A Mustang. That's an EV joke. <laughs>
Seven, when the limited broke itself up, it unlocked some powerful and seemingly obvious choices, especially Bath and Body Works. I always like the smell of that place when I go into it. Even after last year's 132% gain, I think they have more upside. But I honestly prefer the turnaround story that is Bed Bath & Beyond. They report later this week, people will really hate BBBY. Uh, you know, fine. Maybe it should be hated. Why don't we wait to see, though? Stop hating it for a couple of days. Uh, maybe go there. Number eight is an old Kramer favorite, which is, in, uh, favorite, which is NVIDIA. And, you know, whenever I talk about NVIDIA, I always like to wear my passes into NVIDIA's headquarters. This is um, my new pass. This was my old pass. Uh, this is one we own for the Chapel Trust. Ever since the thing traded in the 20s, I've constantly heard how it's overvalued, right? Overvalued, overvalued, overvalued. But it's now at 301 because the company's strength in gaming and high-performance computing has only improved year after year. Now it's the number one play on artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the omniverse. Anytime you hear some tech executive talk about the omniverse or the metaverse, remember, it's going to be running on NVIDIA's chips, can they succeed in acquiring ARM holdings, which would give them dominance in cell phones, too? That'd be tough. ARM is a British company. Brexit's put the British government in a position where they need their companies to prosper as national champions, which makes it really difficult for NVIDIA to seal the deal. But maybe they don't even need ARM. After all, they had Everest. Okay, now, ninth, oh, another one I love. It's FANG! But, the, well, there's, two, there's more than one FANG in this market. Diamondback Energy. It's another oil producer harvesting its crude after a series of, of acquisitions while also returning a lot of capital to shareholders, albeit not as aggressively as Devin. Diamondback's got a $35 break-even price, tremendous production growth, up 41%, yet it's cutting back on drilling and exploration costs to the surprise and delight of Wall Street. Got tremendous upside surprise capability. I think it is one of the more likely to repeat its 123% gain from last year. You heard me. Repeat. 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 Finally, we got an old crime, crime Kramer fave slash charitable trust name, and that's Newcore. Most people think it will be impossible for Newcore to repeat its 115% rally from last year, but the stock has hit a history of giving you fabulous multi-year rallies when the business cycle is in its favor. Not one, but multi-year. I think the earnings estimates for this one are way, way too low. Their steel plants are going all out because there's not enough capacity, and I bet that means pricing will stay strong through the year. No analyst agrees with me, which makes me like it even more. The bottom line, oh, come on, it's an amazing list. But the biggest takeaway should be the remarkable resurgence of the oils. Just as important, I think many of the S&P's biggest winners can keep winning, even if they can't all rival the incredible performances from last year. Wow. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, Kramer's wrapping up his 2022 look ahead and unleashing the dogs of the S&P. Which underdog could come out on top in the new year? That's next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. break, I highlighted the top 10 winners in the S&P 500 for 2021. You know what? I actually think you can learn a lot more from the losers, especially the ones that took you by surprise in the second half of the year. The worst performer? Penn National. Yeah, Penn National Gaming. Down 40%. Every year there's some red-hot concept that draws a ton of competition, sinks the whole group. Last year's uh, Can't Miss was gambling. The earlier 2020 uh, merger between Penn National and Barstool was supposed to connect the hottest entertainment property of media with a state gambling business looking for pizzazz. Unfortunately, a lot of other gambling-related companies had the same go-big-or-go-home ideas from digital players like FanDuel and DraftKings to old-school uh, casinos like Caesars, we're all Caesars, to foreign outfits like PointsBet looking to cash in on a growing market. And competition is just plain old bad for business. Now, once every state allows gambling and we get some murders here, I think there'll be a lot of money to be made. Penn National's a very well-run company with a terrific CEO. I can say the same things about DraftKings. But until we get more consolidation, more states uh, legalizing gambling, and most important, COVID goes away, Penn National will be tough to own. It might take a year for things to turn around if this Omicron hangs out. Second worst performer, Global Payments. That was down 37%. Now, this stock used to be such a perennial winner that it felt like you couldn't possibly go wrong by owning it. Global Payments is a is a preeminent financial technology play that's an essential part of the credit card food chain that partners with 200 large banks and a a thousand smaller ones. As their website points out, and I quote, outsource all of your technology to us and we'll run it for you, end quote. Here's the problem. I could have said the exact same thing about a half dozen other companies in this business or even a dozen if everybody in the industry were to come public. That's a big reason why the whole fintech edifice collapsed under its own weight last year. Too many companies chasing too few accounts, with many of them doing better than others. Not that any of us can tell. I've always admired global payments, as well as the card issuers and the small business empowerment plays and the buy now, pay later outfits. But there's just too many darn stocks in the group. They're all too expensive, especially compared to the super cheap bank stocks that rallied today that you get a huge profitability boost as the Fed, interest, uh, Fed raises rates. Now, you got a 5% rally in the stock today, which should allow its boosters to come out of their foxholes tomorrow morning to push it higher. And I think you can light up on it by Wednesday. Again, it's not global payments fault. They're a fabulous company. It's the fact that so many companies have been created that do or look like global payments. Third biggest loser. Whoa, Las Vegas Sands. That's down nearly 37%. Okay, this is a terrific casino operator that has a huge Macau operation and has doubled down on the Chinese gambling haven by selling off Vegas properties. But in a time of COVID, where China has some of the most restrictive lockdown rules of any country on Earth, as well as a government that suddenly remembers, holy cow, we're communists, it may not be the best moment to bet on Chinese casinos. That's a toxic combination. Now, I want to jump right to the eighth biggest decliner in the S&P, and that's Wynn Resorts down 25%. This one's very similar to Las Vegas Sands. We own Wynn for the Chapel Trust, and we've been wrong. I thought it would give you China as well as Vegas and other U.S. properties for greater diversification just in case the PRC went nuts. In the end, though, COVID and the Chinese government's newfound communism have made life very difficult for Wynn. Given that it would cost about $13 billion to build what now sells for about $10 billion, Wynn has an asset value that is well above its stock price. But until COVID subsides, I think it could be stuck in a rut. Still, this one could be worth the wait. You need something for when COVID rolls over. As much as I like Wynn, though, the fact is I've been wrong. And I may stay wrong until we start seeing evidence that the pandemic has peaked. Back in order. 
The fourth worst performer is Activision Blizzard, down 28%. This company was on, like many of the companies on the list. And uh, this one's tricky. It could be down this much because it's considered a Peloton, which, of course, is a curse word of tremendous proportions, meaning uh, companies that peaked during the first year of the pandemic. But the other major video game companies haven't been hit as hard. It could be because Activision had some big delays with several titles. But the elephant in the room is none other than CEO Bobby Kotick. Uh, And he's being upended by a degrading uh, corporate culture that Wall Street thinks he either created or ignored. Amazingly, I bet Activision's stock would actually go up if Kodak leaves. Not because he doesn't know what he's doing. He absolutely does. He's the best. But because it's a hit-driven business that's not generating the kind of hits people have come to expect. Perhaps because they don't want to work for Bobby anymore. The fifth worst performers market, Access Holdings. Now, you know what? You've been seeing them a bunch of times. I like this one a lot. First mover to digitize bond trading had the business pretty much to itself for a long time. But that's no longer the case. And it's reflected in the stock's brutal downtrend. If you want to play bond issuance now, you go to S&P Global. If you want to bet on bond trading, go buy Goldman Sachs. There's too many players in this field, too, including the much larger trade whip, which is taking a ton of market share. I don't see how market access can come back without a massive spike in bond trading. And I think that's already in the rearview mirror. Number six is a company called Viatris. Ugh. Now, this is a Pfizer generic drug spinoff that's merged with Myelin. Oh, just what the doctor ordered. Bad timing, as it's right in the crosshairs of the Biden administration's attempt to rein in generic drug prices. Viatris is one of the few companies in the market that's not expected to have any earnings growth in this year. And next year. And next year. And its portfolio is filled with off-patent drugs that are under pressure as more knockoff hits uh, more knockoffs hit the market. This one seems like the ultimate cast-off value trap that only a 3% yield tries to attract you. Now, get this. The only thing really intriguing about Viatris is it sells for less than four times earnings. But that's usually a red flag. And on-patent big pharma stocks are cheap, too. So why not buy those? I think I'm going to call this one the Ollie's Bargain Outlet of Drugs without the treasure hunt feel. Oh, yeah. Viatris, Viagra. Is that what you do? I think they probably paid someone a fortune for that. I mean, hey, why don't you call it Viasilis or something? I mean, you know, I mean, honestly. Stop embarrassing yourselves. Be better. Number seven is Citrix. And I'm not sure what to do with this much less proprietary software company that might be put up for sale at the urging of some powerful activist investors. If they walk away, I I have no idea what Citrix is worth other than the fact that it was down 27% last year and it once traded much higher. These guys used to be the king of business collaboration software. I loved their product when I was doing radio, but now it's become a very crowded industry. Then there's the ninth worst performer, and now it gets interesting. IPG Photonics. This was down 23% last year. I think the stock seems really ready. It's a laser company, industrial lasers. It's got real earnings, but it had a shortfall thanks to weakening Chinese sales that crushed the stock. Now, I know that IPG Photonics is therefore in the doghouse. It's very good long-term prospects, which is why it still sells for 30 times earnings. I think IPG, of all these, has the best chance to rebound. I really like it. Hey, look, this thing can rebound just because it's like, you know, four times earnings. Um, Viagra, Viatris, whatever. All right, finally, there's Fidelity National, which does merchant solutions, banking solutions, and capital market solutions, just like every other fintech. 
All right, but this one's down 23% for the year. Now, it's done nothing wrong other than being a cohort that despise. And I don't see anything that changing very soon. Okay, it rallied 4.3%. Fellow fintech traveler PayPal absolutely exploded today after getting beaten up for the shorts per month. It looks like this is a tax loss bounce to me. Again, too many big and small players crowding Fidelity Nat info. The bottom line. The worst performers of the S&P last year look like they're going to keep underperforming in 2022 unless we get some major sea changes. And I just don't see that happening anywhere in the near term, uh, actually in the medium term even. And that is our time horizon. Viatris. Hey, let's come up with a really bad name because we're a really bad company. How about Viatris? Good. All right, let's go to Paul in Oklahoma, please. Paul. Yeah, Jim, thank you. Uh, club member and first-time caller. Yes. But my, my call is regarding Enphase. I'm invested in it, and I'm wondering if this is a buying opportunity with it off the way it is. Boy, I'll tell you, I was reading Michael Semblis' fantastic eye on the market this weekend. What a report that he did uh, about reflation. And he did not have good things to say about solar. I think he's going to be right. Enphase is my favorite solar, though. I think it can bounce a little more than it did today. So I'm not giving up on the darn thing. How about Johnny in Maryland? Johnny. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. I love your investment club. I'm a member and You've done great yes, work. Yes, and we're going to, you know, we, I know we're going to charge. Look, I did this thing called Action Alerts for years, and we charge something I'm supposed to give for free. I can't give it away for free. I'd mean, like to give it away for free. I can't. But anyway, that's my, there's my sales pitch, Viatris. All right, <laughs> Viatris. Hey, what do you got for me tonight? I don't know. I'm watching Succession. Hey. I'm watching Viatris. All right, go ahead. What do, you, what do we got? What do we got? I got uh, Chipotle. It, it had a rough day today. Uh, they talked about the plant-based chorizo. I don't know why anybody would want that when the regular chorizo is awesome. But uh, I'm talking about long term. Well, you know, look, I got to tell you, I'm sticking by my 2000. Thank you for being a member of the club. I'm sticking by my $2,000 target. I think Chipotle is fantastic. And it's been down because it's a high multiple stock and those have all come down. But in the end, what is going to do best? Execution, management, Brian Nickel, Jack Hartung, the lunch I had today, which was killer. We had Chipotle. And I got to tell you, they have, I, I was going to try that plant-based tree. I thought it sounded interesting. Then again, we serve crickets, or, uh, cricket tortillas at Bar San Miguel. And people love them. I'm not kidding. You know what we ought to get? That, what kind of tortilla you want to get, though? Come on. Viatris. All right, there you have it. The top 10 worst performers SP 500 during 2021. Unfortunately, it looks like they'll continue to underperform this year unless something cha- major changes like could happen for IPG Photonics. Much more mad money ahead. When the economy slows down, you want to own stocks of profitable companies with dividends. So I'm revealing a list of dividend aristocrats that could still work even when the Fed starts to tighten and do that every year, too. I like to mention them. This is the first comprehensive one. Then it's a new year and a new opportunity to make some money. I'm revealing what I think are the most exciting things to come in 2022. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As 2022 gets rolling, we have one simple New Year's resolution here on Mad Money. Don't fight the Fed. In the next couple of months, the Federal Reserve is indeed going to set off the tapered bond program program and then begin a new year of rising interest rates with the market currently pricing in four rate hikes for the year. And when the Fed starts tightening, 
That changes the whole universe of stocks that can win. Hence the wild action toward the end of last year as we adjusted to Jay Powell's new attitude. We're not going to be, but we're not going to be. Kind of something in between. For example, when interest rates are on the rise, it makes dividend stocks less attractive. However, wait a sec, before you give up, Higher rates mean you can get a higher yield from basically risk-free assets like U.S. Treasuries. So there's some place to put your money, but that does mean more competition for dividend stocks. There'll be a lot of money that goes in the bond market when this starts happening. However, when the economy slows down, you also want to own stocks of profitable companies that make real things or provide real services and reward their shareholders with dividends and buybacks. So how do you spread the needle then? Well, maybe you need dividend stocks that can outcompete bonds in a rising interest rate environment, which brings me to the concept of the dividend aristocrats. More than 60 companies in the S&P 500 have raised their payouts every year for at least 25 years. That's exalted. Their track record of dividend boost means they can offer you a better yield than bonds, even when the Fed's tightening. Plus, those rising payouts allow them to more than keep pace with rampant inflation if it continues. So which of the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats are worth buying here with the underlying sense that they're all much better than a lot of other stocks simply because they're part of the aristocracy? Last year, there were 64 dividend aristocrats in the S&P, but with some caveats. We got to give AT&T the boot because it didn't give you a dividend boost last year. And it's about to cut its payout after years of what I would regard uh, diplomatically as clownish management. It's the first aristocrat to meet Monsieur Guillotine. Let them eat bad earnings. Of the remaining dividend aristocrats, we actually own six of them from my travel trust. You can follow that by joining CMC's investing club, of which I implore you to do so because I got a lot of cool stuff up my sleeve. Abbott Labs, AbbVie, Chevron, Lindy, Nucor, and Walmart. There's no accident. These are exactly the kind of stocks you want to own when the Fed's worried about inflation and starts talking about tightening, which is why most of these stocks have outperformed the broader S&P 500 ever since Jay started taking inflation seriously in late November. Abbott's a big medical device company. They make the Binax now at home COVID tests that are sold out all over the country. You need these, by the way, before you even go out to dinner. Just show it. That's what we do. Show it. Don't rely on one from the morning, one from the evening. It's great. Don't rely on a PCR test from the morning. Get the Abbott test and look at it right before you go. If you see two lines, you're going to watch Netflix for the next five days. AbbVie is Abbott's former pharma division that it was spun off several years ago. Great company. Chevron and Walmart are household names. What I need to say about those. Lindy is an industrial gas distributor. They've been on the show a bunch of times. New course, uh, the best steel maker in America and possibly the world. Now, we actually trimmed some of these positions for the trust last week, but only because we're big believers in discipline. And discipline says you've got to take something off the table when you have a huge gain. And that's why the trust sold a wee little about of Abbott, a little AbbVie, and a little Lindy last week. These are home runs. We don't want to turn them into triples. I still love all three companies, though, and I like their stocks a great deal. It's just that you need to take some profits while you have them just in case these stocks get hit. What about the other dividend aristocrats? Let me highlight some key groups. First, there are eight companies that have been dividend aristocrats since the S&P Global started tracking them way back in 1962. Think of them as the OGs, okay? These, got, these are eight original gangsters have consistently raised their payouts for 59 straight years. Although none of them have particularly huge yields. That's probably because their stocks have been so great. Well, you got 3M, Coca-Cola, Colgate, Dover, Emerson Electric, Genuine Parts, J&J, new CEO, and Procter & Gamble. Good list to fall back on when the Fed's about to tighten. Find one you really like. 
I like Emerson Electric. That's a manufacturer's manufacturer that's doing a deal with Aspen Tech to focus its industrial software businesses, as well as J&J, where I love the upcoming over-the-counter spinoff that will help unlock the value of its tremendous drug business, even though I will miss Alex Gorski as CEO. You can also do a lot worse than Coca-Cola, which should get a nice boost once Omicron finally recedes and the restaurant business bounces back. I also like Procter & Gamble, which managed to rally 17% last year, even though the broader consumer packaged goods space had a tough time. 2022 should be better for the group, and you want to stick with best of breed. Boy, there's a lot of really good companies right here, a lot of them. Then there are the highest yielding dividend and risk credits. These are 11 stocks in this yield, this one, which yield north of 3.5, okay? Exxon, you know, I prefer Chevron. Brown Foreman, I don't like the brown liquors that much. IBM. I don't think the quarter's going to be that good. Chevron, own it for the trust. Abvi shot the lights out. Realty Income Corporation, eh, you know, a little on the edge. People's United, also on the edge. Amcor, no thanks. Cardinal Health, no growth. Walgreens and Con Ed. Again, there's a reason why we own Chevron and Abvi for the charitable trust. I do like Brown Foreman, the liquor company you know as Jack Daniels, as a reopening play, though. And, uh, and Con Man Edison <laughs> is a solid utility with a reasonable valuation, although I prefer American Electric Power, and I've been right. Finally, there's some overlap between the highest yielders and another subgroup. That's the multiple dividend raisers, the three aristocrats that boosted their payouts more than once last year. And that's that Realty Income, Retail uh, Real Estate Investment Trust. Thank you, Matt Horween, for putting that in front of me all the time. Amcor, a plastics and packaging company. And then Kramer Fave, Cintas. That's the uniform rental king. Kingpin, although Synthos doesn't have that much way of yield. When a company puts through multiple dividend boosts in a single year, though, that means management believes business is booming and will, more importantly, stay booming because you don't raise your dividend to cut it. Other than those, there are plenty of quality dividend risk scratches on this list. Hey, you know I've had Hormel a bunch of times. They are the king of spam, all right? Where's my sp- Who ate my spam? Which one of you guys ate my darn spam? Oh, thought you'd. It's the pumpkin spam. It tends to this, by the way, survived um, thermonuclear war on uh, Christmas Islands. Anyway, the tremendous organic growth right now made a very smart acquisition last year, buying Planters Peanuts, which I had a lot of during yesterday's game. I'm a longtime fan of PepsiCo. Their brands are so strong. They've got tremendous pricing power, which is exactly what you need when people are worried about inflation. I like all the hot new stuff they've made. Then there's McDonald's, the only restaurant named on the aristocrat list, which I still like, even with the stock up 25% last year. It's hard to go wrong with that one. Now, you've got a group of solid industrial sales, too. Caterpillar, CEO, loves a good dividend. Stanley Black & Decker, we had them on. I thought that was a great story. Both stocks have pulled back in the recent months due to supply chain woes. But Cat's the big winner from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Stanley Black & Decker benefits from the still-booming housing market. These are so good. I already mentioned on Emerson Electric, that's a manufacturer's manufacturer, big boost from the infrastructure bill. And there's Illinois Toolworks, which I gave up on way too soon, which is cleaning up because they sell equipment to the Red hot auto industry. Now, there's a lot of other good retailers, too. Yeah, but Lowe's, I like Lowe's. Target. Walmart's been not so great, but I'm sticking with it. Okay? Then there's a grab bag of winners. Archer Daniels Midland, ADM, relatively cheap ag play. Hey, see, ag stocks were very strong today. We got Tyson. We got a very strong ag cycle going here. General Dynamics, quality defense contractor, sideline and business jets, think Gulfstream. While the Gulfstream business is booming, someone's going to want to say that this is the way to play geopolitical tensions with Russia and China. I like next year energy. I know it sounds like I like a lot of stocks, 
Because I do. NextEra is a rare growth utility with a rapidly expanding wind and solar business. Last but not least, there's one that I've had on a number of times and is so good. S&P Global, the dividend aristocrat that maintains the S&P 500 dividend aristocrat list. Wow, hard to go wrong with that one. Beyond indices, these guys provide all sorts of data, analytics, research, credit ratings. I think they've got a big opportunity when it comes to standardizing ESG ratings, too. Here's the bottom line. Now that we've entered a new year where the Fed is no longer your friend, you need to get more selective with your stock picking. So choose something you like from the S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats menu, and then hold on. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for The Lightning Round. And then The Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for The Lightning Round. Because what's up Rosario, New Jersey. Rosario. Hey, booyah, Jim. First booyah. time, long time. All right. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm calling about Lion Electric LEV. Yeah. Well, I mean, at nine. But I mean, the, look, they've beaten that thing up. I mean, stocks do stop at zero, but it, 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 it's wow. Hey, don't sell it. Let's go to Bill in Florida, please, Bill. Booyah, Kramer, booyah. and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I'd like to know a little info on New Fortress Energy, NFE. Uh, you know, if I'm going to construct energy uh, infrastructure, I'm going to end up going with next year, okay? I just prefer that. It's more growth. Let's go to Sam in Illinois. Sam! How are you, Kramer? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How about you, Sam? Good. I wanted to ask your opinion on BAC, Bank of America. I think the rates are going to rise this year. BAC is incredibly cheap stock. Probably goes to 50. Let's go to Stu in Florida. Stu! Hi, Jim. Sue Tarlow in Pompano, Florida. Good to have you. uh, We made money with Manny Medina way back with Terramark Worldwide. All right. He's got a new company, Sixterra. It's in a a consolidating industry, and it looks like he knows how to run it. You know what? I like him. I got to do work on the company because I am not sure about CYXT. Got to do some work on it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Kramer's New Year's resolution for 2022 is the same as every year, to get more home gamers into the market. He's giving his thoughts on the setup for investors going into the new year next. Kramer, you are super, you are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. last year so good for the stock market? You can blame easy money. You can talk about how stocks are the only game in town. You can argue that companies are stronger than ever because business is just so darn robust thanks to low interest rates from the Fed. Me, I think these alibis only lead people astray. They're all part of the same narrative that good is somehow bad. You would have done a lot better last year if you took everything at face value and assumed that good is uh, good. We live in Cinderella world where so many investors expect midnight to change everything for the worse. The litany of what was supposed to blow up in our faces made owning stocks seem like a mugs game last year. But it turned out that betting against stocks was the real mugs game. 
Will 2022 be any different? Obviously, the Fed won't be as easy. They're going to tap the brakes on the economy. Meanwhile, the investment bankers and SPAC kings will keep pumping out junk, pricing it low to entice people. But the enticement is that real bear trap of this market. Most of the companies that have come public of late are what I call conceptual. But 2022 will be the year of the tangible, the practical, the profitable. We have the occasional shockingly good IPO, the Endeavor Group Holdings, full disclosure, the my agent, Dutch Bro. But most of these deals were simply companies using the stock market as a branding opportunity. They were counting on a chance to sell you something that makes money for them, not you. They gave you bad. Still, I like to set up for 2022 because so many others hate it. I like it because there's so many opportunities to buy good good stocks at good prices. I think a ton of companies will prove to have stocks that are way too low, especially the banks, the retailers, and the oils. I like it because I'm betting that Omicron is so infectious that it'll quickly blow through the whole country, at which point people can go back to work safely and businesses can expand. That's what's needed to, to happen to get inflation under control. Once we get over COVID and commodity inflation subsides, I think we'll realize the Fed doesn't need to raise interest rates as aggressively as Wall Street's currently expecting. How about tech? I'm worried about this group because of all the recent tech IPOs, many of which are garbage. In this environment, you've got to beware of most tech stocks that trade on sales, not earnings. They're probably going to go lower. Wall Street no longer has any patience for that kind of thing. No tolerance. Oh, once again, we'll hear about how overvalued Fang and friends are. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, if history's any guide, those Fang obituaries are always premature. Could everything come crashing down? Honestly, I hope it does. Because if everything comes crashing down, you're going to be able to buy stocks at much lower levels. Think of it as a sale. Sure, we'll have to dump some stocks to make room for others. My charitable trust will have to soldier through PayPal and win resorts. I think they're dead money. The self-inflicted travails of lost opportunities for Boeing and pretty much every business line had better work out soon. Disney's down huge from its highs. But if Omicron blows through as quickly as expected, I think it could be a decent risk. Remember, I mentioned the bad ones from the trust because the good ones take care of themselves. And if I'm right, there could be a lot of good ones. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. Happy New Year. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.